I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, it's the sportive time again. We're recording our 15th podcast this week, and I'm, I'm John Marthaler. I'm here just to give everybody else a chance to, uh, to record at least one podcast. Um, your Minnesota Wild have won four games in a row, and I thought, what better time to talk to the coach himself, Chicken Finger 69? Hey, John. Thanks for having me. <laughs> do, do, we, I, do you and I have a name? Like, uh, there's the, you get I, you and Brandon are the nice guys. Um, doctor, I, I don't know. Doctor also the nice part. guys? No, that ain't it. I mean, Half the nice guys and then the other guy? Like, <laughs> hmm, I don't know. Yeah. You you think my, about it. My brother met you in person one time, and he still tells anybody who asks that, in reality, you're the nicest person ever. So maybe it's the secret nice guys episode. <laughs> yeah. I like it. Yeah. Clandestine nice guys. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, very, the very different in real life people, apparently. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, so the entire genesis of this podcast was the wild keep winning games. And eventually I, we, we, we rarely talk hockey on the podcast just Mm -hmm. because Brandon and Stu don't care, Mm -hmm. but that's why I got to get you in here to talk about the wild who suddenly for the first time in two years, probably Mm -hmm. seem like they're showing signs of actual life. It's exhilarating. Yeah, I. It's confusing, honestly, because <laughs> <laughs> so much of so much of the beginning of this year, they've. I should back up. They've they've played the California teams it's, in. It's a prom night. One hundred times each. It's a prom so, night. It's it's exhilarating and confusing. Yeah, exhilarating and confusing in equal measure. I would say. <laughs> um, <laughs> they they played the California teams a hundred times each, mm-hmm. and so. During the early part of the season, it was mostly just you'd watch the games and you would text your buddies and just talk about how slow so-and-so looks or how awful so-and-so looks, and then they'd win half the games anyway because the California teams are terrible. But now they've won two games in a row, 6-2, to two, and I I can't – have the Wild ever won two games in a row where they scored six, six goals in both of them? Hmm. This has got to be the first time. It didn't happen in the first 15 when Lemaire was around. If yeah. they won, if they had six goals once, he'd have shut them down. Bag skate. Yeah. We don't, we don't score six goals. You're all Literally, cut. They, they scored six against Dallas that one time, and it still might be about the most famous <laughs> game in the history of the franchise. 
just because they scored six in one game. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, it's got to be close to a record. Sure. Um, the, the, the key guy that I want to talk about, and I think that we're all talking about, is Kirill Nick Bonino. Oh, I know. <laughs> yes, far better topic. Yes, I want to talk. We're gonna we're gonna do a thirty minute deep dive into Nick Bonino in the face off <laughs> circle. Only at the face off circle because that's what we're here for. Now we got to talk about Kaprizov, and I want to I want to specifically talk about just one play out of all the plays he's made. I think it was. I'm pretty sure it was last night's mm-hmm. game. He, he goes into the zone one on three. This is in the third period. I think they were up three to two or maybe four to two at the time. He goes into the zone one on three, and instead of dumping the puck, he just holds on it and turns around mm-hmm. and runs butt first into a defender, just bounces off like he's a bumper car on the wall, and just stands there until somehow Ryan Hartman doesn't know what he's doing. He just skates directly towards the net, and Kaprizov throws a laser pass right between two defenders. And all Hartman has to do is make one move and tap it in. Mm-hmm. I have never seen any wild player make that move. That has not happened in the first 20 years of the franchise. Nothing like that. So I have two questions for you. Number one, what makes what makes Kaprizov different mm-hmm. from all these players? Oh, I can go one one question at a time. Sure. Well... His, yep. Uh, yep. One at a time. <laughs> well, let's start. His puck possession skills are otherworldly. His, his and, and puck possession has a number of things, you know, that components to it. His his edge work that allows him to use. He's not a big guy, but mm-hmm. he's got kind of like a big giant fat ass. I, yeah. I don't know, like. I don't, for to put it deli- indelicately, yeah, that's John, the technical term. I don't really have a better way of explaining it. Um, yeah, he's just got an enormous can that he backs into. Like everybody. a skinny guy with like shoulders and an ass that make it hard to get around. Yeah, so he just puts he's the got... puck in between, you know, four feet away from his big ass, and he just can't get around it. And then he's... yeah, he wears a he wears a size thirty four suit jacket and size forty nine jeans. How do you even buy jeans like that? Like, where would you even go? To, to buy, I don't even know where they exist. Like, you just have to, you have to go back to the 1990s to buy like the the, the Junko jeans with the yes. wide legs, and then you just have to have the waist tailored down to actually fitting on your body. So it's having that, you know. And there's guys that have that body type, but then they don't, they can't couple that with his ability, his in inside edge work, um, and his balance. Along right. with his hands, all of those things kind of create this perfect storm of it's. It's Crosby has, has these similar skills. I'm not saying he's Sidney Crosby. I like it's all just common. Right. My point is, he has a, that similar skills. That similar skill set of a, just um, wide base, inside edge work, um, puck possession skills that that is not necessarily the easiest to come by. So and, obviously. You're the, you're the coach. Talk me through inside edge work because I don't know what. Well, you I saw don't know what anybody's no, talking that's about. That's okay. It's not rocket science by any means. You saw it on there. We we saw that highlight that people should that yeah. they've been shown over and over where he circled around the the zone two or three times. Yeah. Uh, like he's in the ice capades. Yeah, and he did that almost entirely on on his two inside edges. He just turned his feet out, um, not unlike a penguin. 
turn his feet. You know? <laughs> not, not unlike a penguin. Turned turned his toes pointing out like a pigeon or a pigeon toed in that sense. And and okay, a lot of people can skate like that. What he has the ability to do is do that and maintain or gain speed while skating on those inside edges and possessing the puck. I mean, that's again a unique skill that I don't I I couldn't gain speed on any edge, forward or backwards. So. Um, <laughs> I don't know how he does. I really don't. I don't have the first idea how he does. If I knew how, I'd I'd certainly be teaching it better than I do. Um, <laughs> I feel I feel like this is the demonstration of one of those things that you always hear when people are talking about what guys are working on in the off season. Mm-hmm. Like even NHL guys are talking. Well, he's trying to get better on his edges. He's working with skating coach Andy Ness. Andy Ness, yeah. yeah, yeah. He's working with a skating coach to get better on his edges, and me. I'm always like, uh-huh, uh-huh, he wants to be good on the edges. But in reality, I'm like, I don't know what that means. I don't know how you work on your edges. Sure. It sounds good. Well, but the basics I can I can do, and I can teach that, but that this is a whole nother level beyond just the basic edge work that he's got. Right. I don't really fully understand how, how he leverages. He's on his inside edges the entirety of that windmill that he did twice. And at the end there where the very last time he goes around, he he's gaining speed. And I don't, (laughs) you, you watch him kind of, it's almost like he's on one of those, well, they're not skateboards. What are those things that the kids have now that like a twisty skateboard? He's almost like he's, you know, they're definitely called twisty skateboards. I know that for sure. I think that could be it. Uh, anyways, it's, he's almost doing that with his feet, like rocking them back and forth to gain speed. I don't. I, I sat and watched. It. I couldn't figure out how the hell he was doing it. Um, <laughs> All right, so I'm just going to take a note here. Might be a wizard. <laughs> Could be. He's, Might be a wizard. Yep. He holds the serpent's eye. I don't have any idea. <laughs> I don't know what he's doing. <laughs> um, all right, so here's my second Kaprizov question. You, uh, as as the the coach, the sport of hockey coach, you know what it's like inside the locker room better than anybody. So my question is this: How many fist fights are there on a daily basis over who gets to play on Kaprizov's line? <laughs> oh, um, <laughs> yeah, you know, the, I suspect the wild locker room um, isn't like the. You know, I, I would think if Parisi were a bigger dick, he would be demand because he can't because right. of his salary. He could walk into Leopold's office and say, "Look, I, I'm on his line," um, and that's that. Um, and the, and he would be because I think there are players on the Wild who have done that with large salaries and who have said. Oh, I don't know, John. Let's just say um, they've walked into the owner's office and said, I will be on the power play. Right. Even though I have no, <laughs> there's no absolutely no reason I should be out there. Um, you're paying me this money, and I demand to be on the power play, and he is. I'm not naming names. I'm just throwing out. Yeah. Um, not even asking questions. No. Just suggesting that it has happened. <laughs> I'm just saying. People scratch their heads on why a certain player might be out there on a power play, and I'm simply explaining to them how the reasons why it's happening. How this sometimes works, yeah. Um, 
I, I so again, I think if Parisi certainly could do that, he's just I don't think he has that in him to do. But you bring up a good point. I he makes everybody on the ice better, especially the forwards. But every, all five, all four guys. Well, even the goalie. Fuck it, <laughs> he makes everybody on the ice better. Um, elevates the play of the entire team when he's out there. I mean, they just look better as a team when he is out there. And, uh, you know, he's, I, I said last night on Twitter, he's, he turned, uh, Rask and Rask. He turned well, Victor Rask. And... This is the reason I'm asking because he's been on the line with Victor Rask and, uh, Matt Zuccarello. And honestly, for any other guy on the wild, if you walked into practice one day and you saw your number up there with old Rasky and old, I don't know what Zuccarello's Zooks. hockey nickname would be. Zooks. Zooks. Yeah, that's yeah. I don't uh, with Zooks and Rasky. I feel like you just sit down in your locker room stall and put your head back and be like, <laughs> "What did I do today?" Yeah, yep. And uh, now they're now that line is producing twelve points a game, like it's friggin' McKinnon and Landeskog. It's and Miko Rantanen. These guys have. It's not like these are, are rookies. And we just didn't know their potential. These are guys that have been in the league. Zuccarello's been in the league for years. Rask has also, not, maybe not to that extent, but but for years. We know what their potential is, and this guy has elevated them. This isn't like, oh, well, they're just they're just better than we thought. No, they are who they are. Kaprizov is just that good. Because <laughs> on this podcast, we, we used to speculate that Rask's skates were on backwards, and that would explain a lot about it. <laughs> And at one point last year, we were looking at Zuccarello and going, "Let's go back to let's go back to YouTube. Maybe he, maybe he's not left-handed. Maybe he's actually a right shot. <laughs> Nobody they ordered his sticks wrong or something. I don't know. I don't I don't get into the scouting very much, but it seemed like it was a possibility at least. And now it's the best line on the team after two days of throwing them with Kaprizov. I if like I just think about if they really put him with somebody. You know they put him out there with Fiala, and I, I, that's a that's a lot of skill at one level. <laughs> um, Fiala and Eck, and I, I, they didn't leave him there for a long time. I wonder how that would have gone um, long term. I want him, I want him to put Kaprizov and Fiala out there with Nick Bukestad, who God bless him, <laughs> but is looking like he's lost a step from his best days at Blaine uh... High School. I want Kaprizov and Bukestad and Fiala out there just to see if Bukestad ends up with 75 assists this year. <laughs> yeah. Well, and assists, but he was not in the same he was no. not in the offensive zone when any of them happened. All of which just, occurred in the defensive zone. <laughs> breakout passes from his own blue line to one of the wings. Yep. And then he was got called yeah. onto the bench. And he was actually sitting on the bench when most of them happened. 53 second assists while <laughs> sitting on the bench. Yep. Um. I think it's funny that you mentioned the power play because that has been, I mean, it's been terrible, but it's been the truly hilarious part of this winning streak is that they've scored a few more power play goals, and the way they did it was that Dean Evanson finally gave up on having power play units That's and amazing. just started playing forward lines. He just said, I, no. look, it's screwing up our the rest of our lines. That power play, I, I, I know it's a joke. We can't defer. We can't defer the penalty. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm just going to keep rolling lines because I don't want to keep messing up the rest of them. So, Is that, so 
you you've you've been involved with youth hockey both as a player and a coach for a long time. How old are the players before they start getting like special teams units? Mm, typically 13, 14. It really 13, 14. It depends on the level, John, but um it, 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 bantams is typically t- I don't know. I haven't seen a ton of peewee, even the high, very high on peewee teams, which is 12, 13, um, run a power play unit out there. Typically, they just roll their general lines. But when you get to Bantams, that's that's 13, 14, 15. That's when you see it. So basically, they've had to turn it into a peewee power play. Yeah. That's because what, yep. everybody's terrible at the power play, and somehow that's better. It's really remarkable. Um and I don't have an answer for it. I really don't. I don't know. I mean, I, personnel is one thing, but it doesn't account for all of it. Right. I mean, at, early on in the season, it was like, well, they just got to find the magic combination that unlocks this power play and tries to make it actually work. But as the season wore on, they tried a number of different things. At one point, they had one unit that had four forwards and one defenseman, and then a second unit that I think had three defensemen and two forwards on it. it, John, it I, you know what I was going to do, and I never did get around to doing it, was trying to look up who the Wilds uh, power play coaches, like who, who, which <laughs> assistant coach is in charge of it. I almost felt like, Brad, don't. Because, yeah. Because it's, you're just going to you know feel bad for the guy. But uh, I almost felt like you guys were talking the other day on the podcast the other day about, the Timberwolves defensive coach, like the guy that's yeah. in charge of their defense, like, yeah. oh, that poor bastard. And, you know, for maybe for years he could, that the wild power play coach could say, well, we just don't have the guns, we don't have the personnel. Well, now you do. You got Fiala, you got Dumbo, you got Kaprizov, you got Spurgeon, you got some guys that can run the power play. There's no excuses anymore. It shouldn't be this, but you shouldn't be the worst in the league. You've got some horses. Yeah. And now Whoever it's the strategy. Wild- Whoever the wild power play coach is like the the person in the school band that plays the French horn that got away for five consecutive years without anybody ever noticing they didn't know how to play the French horn. And now now all of a sudden, all right, we got a French horn solo in this song. Oh, crap. Can we uh, really quickly, I want to I want to stick on hockey, but very, very quickly. The other day I was listening to you and Brandon. Were you yep. seriously discussing the merits of hiring the Timberwolves defensive coach as the head coach? Well, that was the point that I was sort of making about that. There was there were certainly questions to be asked about that hire in terms of the process and knowing that they had an associate head coach in David Vanderpool who's a, a, who's a black man and knowing that the NBA, like every other league, doesn't have a very good record oh, of that's, okay. hiring or I don't interviewing know minority candidates. I wouldn't so, know David Vanderpool if he was standing here yeah. in my living room. So okay, so, so that, that was, was the point. That was, of, okay. Yeah, that was the problem a lot of people had with it. But the uh-huh. point that I did I point out was also he's the Timberwolves defensive coach, uh, which is not no not yeah. exactly a role that fills you with. Confidence. Wow, we got to get this guy. Yeah. He's keeping he's helping them keep opponents under 140. <laughs> okay. Now I understand so, the complexities of that discussion. Okay, well that it, makes it was. But you guys never said that. See, I don't know what the hell you're talking about. Yeah. See, we gotta. Okay. <laughs> I think we probably at that point figured that anyone who's listening to me Knows. and Brandon <laughs> yeah. talk about the Timberwolves probably is enough of a Timberwolves junkie to know exactly the 
the vagaries of the national versus the local discussion. Fair enough. But okay. just to, this is a good it's a good time to go back and clarify. That's what we meant. It's interesting that the national reaction is also completely at odds with the local perception of what the Timberwolves defense looks like. That makes far more <laughs> sense. I thought you two, well, I, I've always thought this, that you two had finally lost it. Like that was your, yeah, well, okay. Now, now uh, it's all adding up. We, <laughs> Chicken, we managed to, by the way, when it's just you and me talking, it is really hard to call you Chicken. I know. That makes absolutely no sense. I can't sense even call whatsoever. myself that. I've, I've already slipped up. <laughs> I'm just going to call you the, I was like, oh, coach. I'm going to just call so you stupid. coach. It's so stupid. Both, are, both names are stupid. That's a stupid name, too. <laughs> um, what was I saying? I, for, I completely forgot what I was saying just at the the moment where I had <laughs> to a, force myself I'm to a call better, you chicken. I'm a better chicken than I am a coach. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Um, and now I've forgotten what we were talking about with hockey too, but that's fine. Uh, can, power play coach, can, something. I power play cover, coaches. Yeah, I don't want. Yeah, I don't want to know who the power play coach is. No, I do. There, there's another, another thing that has been wildly different this year for me, and I want to know if it's been different for you too. What is the experience of watching the goaltending this year has been very mm-hmm. average, mm-hmm. and it's a breath of fresh air. Mm-hmm. I, uh, we we talk a lot on this podcast about how goaltending is voodoo, and goaltending is voodoo, and there's no accounting for mm-hmm. it. But just having completely average goaltending on the Wild, and I did, I actually went and looked up the the fancy stats to see see what they could see because any Wild goaltender always in when you look at save percentage or winning percentage or whatever save percentage and goals against average, they always look better for wild goaltenders because the defense is usually so good. Although, you know what else I found out? I found out that a lot of these fancy stat guys really heavily weight against wild home games because the people who count shots at the Excel Center are so stingy on them. <laughs> I've never heard that. Is that a thing? <laughs> no, I, I I can't remember where I read this, but apparently... They're they're so stingy on counting shots on goal that everybody's numbers, like the expected goals numbers, look better hmm. just because because of quote unquote rank bias, which I had no idea was a thing because the only other comparable thing that you hear about is like park factors in baseball, but that's very explicable to say. Sure. Well, this park is a bandbox, and this park that is Petco Park in San Diego that's the size of three football fields put together. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense, but I had no idea there was such a thing as rink bias. So anyway, apparently that's been contributing to making wild goaltenders look good too. But hmm. what, I, what I'm saying is, so if you look at just the basic numbers, wild goaltenders always look good because their defense is good, and they generally play a pretty defensive system. But you look at the advanced numbers, the expected goals allowed or given up uh, above average or below average or whatever. The Cam Talbot and Kapokakin are completely average, right on the money, average goaltending. Mm-hmm. But after the Devin Dubnik experience of the last few years, mm-hmm. it seems like they might be the two best goaltenders in the league. <laughs> I don't know. Well, I, I'm curious what your reaction has been to that, too. I feel like... I feel like the last couple of years has been like owning a yellow Labrador puppy and living <laughs> living next to the interstate. 
<laughs> like you're just constantly terrified of right. Even on a beautiful day, you're just like, oh, geez. And now we've moved to just a tranquil suburban neighborhood. And uh, it just feels so much safer, right? It's just more relaxing. Like, I, I don't know, even, even on a rainy day, like on a terrible day, it's just more relaxing being out in the yard than it was on a sunny, beautiful day living next to the interstate. And uh, I, I, I don't know, it's not the greatest analogy. Yeah. I, I started down that one, and I don't really know where I'm going. But I, I'm going to stick with it, John. Yeah, um, just stick with that, it. It's that constant fear is really what I'm getting at. <laughs> I got distracted because I was thinking about I have a one-year-old son whose favorite thing in the world is to wave at cars. And mm-hmm. unfortunately, he seems to think that the closer he gets to the cars, the more <laughs> fun it would be to wave at them. So he'll be like, we'll be playing in the garage or something. And you turn around and he's just toddling off towards the street like, oh, let's go see what the cars are like up oh, close. No. Just tackle him. <sighs> Uh, an infant son. Yeah, that would be another. Another yep. you could have used that instead of a. I like know. Labrador puppy better because it doesn't involve children wandering across the internet. Humans, yes. Yeah, um, I like that. Let's stick with Labrador puppy. And the unpredictability of it too. It, it, yeah, that, that that's it's just as more relaxing. Like the, last night, um, oh, who was it? Was it Cole? That oh, God, I can't remember. I think it was Ian Cole. Had a, just a horseshit turnover in the corner, out in front of the net. Ah, uh, fuck! What did he put it on McKinnon's? I I can barely remember this right. afternoon, John. But anyways, he put it. I want to say it was McKinnon, um, right on his tape in the slot, and he whistled one, and Kakinen made just a beautiful save. Um, right. Last year, that thing was last yeah, season. That, that was, never happened last no, year. No, no, it was. Uh, Ian Cole made a beautiful play in the corner, and it like trickled, you know, bounced off his head, off his breezers, off McKinnon's skate into the net. And right. that's what happened last season. So um, it's just so much more of a relaxing feeling. You can make a mistake. And it's a relaxing feeling for the players. It has to be. You can make a mistake yeah. like that and and not completely lose the game. It was. And it did seem like every other NHL team makes a terrible mistake. There's a 40% chance it ends up mm-hmm. in the back of the net with the Wild you make a mistake like that, there's a 111 chance, it's in. percent chance yep. that it's in the back of the net. Somehow it's two goals somehow, <laughs> half the time. So It's got to be more relaxing as a player to, to have that confidence too. Right. So I I just, having normally average goaltending has just been such a wonderful thing. It's just, like you say, not living next to the interstate anymore as mm-hmm. a Wild fan. Yep. There's there's another thing I wanted to, ask, to to call you to go back to the coach thing again. There's another thing I want to ask you as a hockey idiot that I don't understand and I need someone who knows to explain to me. And we've talked about this on the podcast before a little bit here and there, but it's particularly noticeable this year. And what's noticeable is that the Wild have basically nobody who can play center. They have Yul Eriksson Ek, who's a good center. And then they've got a whole bunch of guys who maybe aren't centers. But what they've done over the past few games is they took Ryan Hartman, who was a fourth-line wing, sort of a checking-line wing for them, mm-hmm. and they turned him into a center, and suddenly he's amazing. Mm-hmm. And so what I want to know and I, what I want to understand as a hockey idiot is you take, a guy who's, you take a guy who's a wing and put him in center, what changes for him as a player? 
Sure. Well, I one about ninety percent sure Hartman was drafted as a center. So I, yeah, I, he, I want to say he was I, converted into a wing, then back to his natural position. Yeah, I was reading today he played center for the national team development program, and then for the Blackhawks he played a little center, and then they converted him to wing or something like that. Sure. Well, he can skate well enough to be a center, so that makes sense. The difference is that typically the wings are playing along the half wall. You're not going to find the wings behind the net in your defensive zone too often. They're going to be closer to the defenseman, right? The opposing defenseman or along the half wall waiting for a breakout pass. Right. Um, and just eliminating that extra 20 to 30 feet that the person has to skate down the ice um, can make all the difference. You need a better skater at center because typically they're down below the goal line helping the defenseman in the defenseman defensive zone. At the very least, they're below the dots in the defensive zone. So once you gain possession of the puck in the defensive zone, now everybody has to move, right? You gotta, and you got to move you now. You actually got to move your feet. Uh, and you got to move yeah. now. Now the wings only have to skate, oh, I don't know what, 160 feet, 170 feet. Where the, <laughs> or, if, uh, or if you're Danny Healy, maybe 10 or feet. If you're the D- or zone. Dave Spihar. Yeah, you only have to <laughs> skate 40 feet. Dave Spihar didn't even have to skate to get, off, get to no, the offensive zone. He's, all, he's, he's just trading. standing with one skate on the blue line. He's trading pins with the opposing team's goalie. <laughs> um, but the center is typically next to his own goalie, right, playing defense right. down there. Now he has to skate all the way down the ice to join the offensive play. Um, that's that's the difference, Chad. I don't know if that gets entirely at your question, but that's no, what it, changes. It does. So to to me, like I say, a hockey idiot, Whenever people talk about this guy's a center, this guy's a wing, it's sort of like center is like playing shortstop in baseball, and then playing wing is like playing first base in baseball. Yeah, that's probably yeah, that's fair. I, I think baseball's <laughs> a difficult comparison. I think um, it, it's maybe more like the difference between defensive back and safety. All right, because uh, um, there's athleticism involved, but I guess shortstop involves that too. I don't know, John. I'd have to think about that analogy a little it's bit just more. it always seems it always seems strange to me like like i say i don't know what i'm talking about but it seems strange to me that nobody ever talks about it being difficult to play wing exactly they move defensemen to wing sometimes like if you got too many defensemen and one of your forwards are brad hunter yeah back in the day brent burns will just jump up and play wing and nobody seems to care about that but the very idea of turning a lot of wings into centers, people are like, I don't know. Well, really, what I don't they're think talking this about guy is, can do this. It's a, there's a, a the intelligence side of the game too, and, and the defensive zone is really what they're talking about. The wings are only responsible for one half of the ice, and really two players in the defensive zone. They're they're responsible for the the defenseman on their side, the opposing team's defenseman on their side, and whatever forward because the forwards don't keep positions. The opposing team's forward. Right. Don't keep, you know, a wing doesn't matter. When you're in the offensive zone, you're just spinning around, right? Right. Uh, you're you're respo- if the pucks, if you're the weak side wing and the puck's on the strong side, now you're responsible for that weak side defenseman and the and whatever weak side forward is hanging out in front of the net, the high guy. Those are your two responsibilities. Where the center is responsible for just fucking everything, right? He's got to be making reads on where are his two defensemen, where are his wings, are they doing their job? Uh, are uh, is the other team pinching the guy? Are they not? Um, uh, he's responsible for all of it. So there's just a lot more responsibility for a center in the defensive zone. And I think that's what, when you're talking about, I don't know if that guy can get away with it. One, he's got to be a good skater. That's probably what they're talking about. 
Wings, right. wings are typically not as great as skaters as as defensemen or as centers, but we're seeing that with Kaprizov, and that's kind of what I'm getting at. Is one one thing I think that could be going on that's part of the wild success without having strong centers. Typically, teams that are successful have strong centers. Is that Fiala? skates so well, but Kaprasov especially skates so well that, that they're almost quasi-centers out there on the ice. Um, just by creating that much speed and that much chaos, um, that maybe that's the role they're already playing. You don't need to have right. these otherworldly centers when you have guys like that out there. I, I kind of wonder about that concept. Then uh, I could be inventing it. It could be complete horseshit too, but I, I kind of wonder about that. I, I like the theory especially having just learned what you really need out of a center is that somebody that can skate. This matches with the knowledge that I've had for the last minute and a half. <laughs> it confirms my, it confirms my long held 90 second long biases. <laughs> Good. For what you really need out of a center. That's, that's interesting. So, I mean, is it true? Do I have it right that you occasionally you see guys who are because this is something they talk about a lot in baseball. There's a million guys who get drafted as a shortstop because they were the best player in their high school team or whatever, and mm-hmm. so they played shortstop. And virtually none of them end up playing shortstop in the sure. major leagues because it's so hard. Mm-hmm. Is I would assume that most guys coming up are the best. They're going to be the best skaters on their high school team, on their junior team, or whatever. Do most guys end up? Do most guys get drafted as a center and move to the wing, or is yes. it specialized enough? That... Far more. No, far more. Far more. Yeah, far more. Yeah. That happens far more often than, than the other way around, yeah. Typically, if you're a wing all the way up, you're not going to get converted into a center. But a lot of centers get converted into wings. Sure. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Do I mean that's that's another question I have. So when again we're going back to youth hockey, and now I'm just curious rather than trying to extrapolate this into a larger point about the NHL or anything. But you've got you've got guys who play defense, you got guys who play offense. How much? How, how do you decide when you're a youth player whether you're going to play defense or offense? Hmm. I guess I, I don't. You, I mean, I mean you, you played baseball and you played football too. Yeah. There, there is a body type. There is about athleticism to each position too. That just, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I that the believe kid, me, I wanted to, I wanted to play running back like anybody else, but they didn't. 
they didn't seem to think that was a good idea. When <laughs> I mentioned that. You could say that. Well, and and you go, maybe you came home and said, "Dad, I really want to play running back." And what did you? What would your dad have said? <laughs> My dad would have said, "Oh, that's good for you." <laughs> I'm I'm glad that we. It's good to want things. <laughs> so. I, I, I get you're kind of, I hope seeing, yeah, you're yeah. already kind of answering your own question. Uh, you know, yeah, centers I are, guess that's true. Are the typically the the, the the fastest kids out there, good hands, um, but also can have some sort of defensive um, mindset and responsibility. Um, it's not and always. The defensemen are just the defensemen are just the kids who learned how to skate backwards before anybody. Well, else. oftentimes once you get up to a little bit higher level, the biggest guys out there. Um, you you you, are, you do want some. That's why Spurgeon's such an enigma. That's such an odd circumstance. Now they're so the the league is going towards some of these smaller, more athletic, faster defensemen. They've had right. them in the past, more offensive skill guys. But uh, typically they're more um, giant kind of meatheads that'll just kill you because. Well, for a number of reasons why you want your defense. You want the guys that have the eight-foot-long sticks that are going to poke the puck away from the guys coming right. down to ice. Um, you want guys that can, when you dump the puck in, they can go skate in there and take a check because they're going to get destroyed, right? Now you, yep. you've got your back to the play, uh, to everybody coming at you, and you're going to get hit. You need to be big. Um, you need guys that can clear out people in front of the net. Spurgeon, you know, that's that's a lot of work for him to to clear it out in front of the net. He has to think about it, right? Um, rather than just um, headman just grabs a guy by the, <laughs> the throat and just throws him throws him Zidino, up. Yeah, Zidino Chara just skates slowly through the defensive <laughs> zone and watches people bounce off into the board. <clears throat> yeah, like one of those weed cleaners, you know, at the at the yep. lake cabin. He just kind of just, just clears everybody <laughs> out of the way. Um, so the guys that are built like that typically end up becoming defensemen. And, yeah, uh, I assume for goalies what they do is when when you first sign up for hockey when you're six years old or whatever, they just take everybody outside the rink on a sunny day and look around and find the kids who are staring directly at the sun yeah, with their mouth like, hanging open. And they're like, hey, <laughs> you ever kid, play goalie, kid? The kid that's licking the ground. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, here's some pads. How do you feel about letting everybody I, shoot pucks at you? For the I couldn't rest of tell your you. I I couldn't tell you how they how a kid decides to play goalie and does. I that's a mystery to me. <laughs> um, I don't know. All right. Well, apart from that aside, um, we were talking about Ryan Hartman. So this sort of feeds into the the next wild question I had. We 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 mentioned him a little bit. We mentioned Zach Parisi a little bit, and he's kind of had a struggle of a year. But they they put him on a line with Hartman centering that line, and I think Felino on the other side. I think it was Felino on the other side mm-hmm. of that line. So my question is this: for a guy like Parisi, he, he works really hard, goes to the net, does all the things that you want out of a forward. Who does who does he need on the line to get going? And I'm obviously you could say, well, he needs Kirill Kaprizov on the other side. To, skate around everybody bouncing off people until he feeds you right in front of the net for a tap-in. But what about, I, I'm curious if there's anything specific about Hartman or specific about Hartman and Felino that maybe makes things better or worse for Parisi as a winger. Hmm. Well, Parisi's not going to 
he needs somebody that can um, create the offense. Parisi isn't going to skate the puck. He's not going to do well. Not many people can do. Not really anybody can do what McDavid does. I'm trying to think of a good mm. example. Well, Kaprizov. Not many people can do what he does either. Yeah. Parisi isn't going to grab the puck at his own blue line, skate it through the neutral zone, deke out three guys, and go upper shelf. Right. He's yeah. Not... He hasn't. He hasn't deked out a guy in the NHL in probably no. eight years. It's not his game. He's not going to create his own shot. I think is what we talk. The kind of a term we use often. Right. Um. That's not his game, so he needs somebody to do that for him. He's going to provide the grit, and he's going to score a lot of two-foot goals, and he's going to be in the right position um, to catch a pass. He's going to drive the net, so he's you know you have a guy with the puck on a stick entering the offensive zone on his line. He's going to be the guy that drives the net, and when you, when he does that, now the defensemen have to follow him, right? If they let him right. go, you're just going to pass it to him. Now he's on a breakaway, and away he goes. Some a defenseman has to follow him. What does that do? It opens up the middle of the the ice in the offensive zone for that offensive player to have even more time and space. That's Parisi's game. So you need somebody that can take advantage of that, right? Um, somebody that can stick handle through that open space, find that open space, and use it, whether it's to take a shot or to make a pass to Parisi, uh, whatever it might be. You need somebody that has some offensive skill to take advantage of the game that Parisi plays. Which I think makes it even more surprising that it turned out to be maybe Ryan Herbin that sort of has those skills because if you had told me we're putting they're they're going to put Parisi and Felino and Ryan Herbin all on the same line, I would have assumed the offense would just be they'd skate the puck into the zone, they'd drop it to a defenseman, and then half a second later you'd have three guys standing with one skate in the goal crease, <laughs> just blocking it off like a like the Great Wall of China, mm-hmm. and elbowing each other out of the way to try to get a tip in because those are all those three guys the three guys on the same line who all sort of have a reputation as guys who go to the net and Mm -hmm. guys who who score those two-foot goals as you said and i i think it's it's surprising at least that it seems to be working in an extremely small sample size of course but seems to be working with those two on his line well hartman has far more offensive skill than i ever realized he had, yeah. I think, when I'm, you know, I even like the first week of the season, I'm watching him going, Jesus, that was a great play. Holy cow, look yeah. at him go. That was, I was, I've been impressed with him all season long. I think he's been what they hoped Bonino would be. I think Bonino right. and Bukestad have both yeah, been disappointments. I think Hartman's really been what they were hoping Bonino would be. Um, but I think there's also, you talk about guys, how they get recruited, how they get signed. I think there's a million guys out there that are very high-end offensive players that get drafted, and not every team needs, you know, nine McDavid's. <laughs> I mean, right. nice, but you, you, teams don't have nine super offensive skilled guys, so they bring in these guys that in college that even at the AHL might have had a ton of offensive success and save. We don't need you to do that. We need you to play right. 12 minutes, be a fourth-line grinder winger. You might have even been like, heart, you know, at the U.S. Development National Team, um, a center scoring 80 goals a season. Well, all I need you to do is dump the puck in, get them turned around. Um, don't be a minus on the score sheet. At least be right. even or a plus, and get off the ice and let our big guns, you know, go score goals. 
And at some well, point, it, those guys just get pigeonholed into that role. And I wonder if he is breaking out of that pigeonhole that he, yeah. he got put in as a fourth liner. One of the things, reading about him, one of the things that was sort of surprising is he, he has the profile of, like, Wes Walls in his 20th NHL season where he's actually 39 years old and he's been around forever, but Hartman's, like, 28 or something yeah. like that. Yeah, he's not super old. <laughs> Yeah. He's not he's not a 15-year NHL veteran. I think it's it's funny that you mentioned that because I whenever something like this happens, I guess the thing you end up reading is well, nobody nobody makes the NHL because they're good at killing penalties, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. You don't you don't get to the you don't get to the top level because well, you know, this guy played at Boston College and he was a shutdown defensive forward on their penalty kill and mm-hmm. played 9 minutes a night and that's a special skill set. It's a role you're asked to play. And I think the Wilds probably saw that with Eric Holla, too, where he was playing center on the fourth line, and they weren't giving him much ice time, certainly no special teams time or anything, and he was looking for a bigger role, and then they gave him away to Vegas, and all of a sudden he scored 28 goals the first year or yeah. something like that. Good, yeah. So it's it's sort of interesting. you got these guys that you pigeonhole. I guess another – I don't really have any idea how how he's doing this year, but Ryan Donato was a little bit the same way with the Wild where – yeah. He was a really skilled guy that had a lot of good advanced numbers or whatever, but the Wild were playing him as a fourth-line wing, and he was playing six minutes a night, and I don't think he was even killing penalties, so he had basically no chance whatsoever. So mm-hmm. it's interesting how you take guys, these guys are sort of pigeonholed into the roles, and after a while it's because you just assume that they can't do anything else. So it's it's kind of interesting to see what happens when people are given a chance for bigger roles, which... At least if you can if you can play center at all with the Wild this year, you're going to get your chance to yeah. play center on one of the top lines because they don't got much there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think I think that's all of the Wild related questions I have. Do you have anything else that's really no. stood out to you? No, I, we covered a lot of ground. All right, so. I've got a gopher hockey question, a completely Uh-oh. hypothetical gopher hockey question. Here. All right, shoot. Um, and I, I think I know what my answer to this is, but I'm curious what you think. So the Gophers have, they, they won their first 10 games of the year. They've been in the top five basically the entire season. Mm-hmm. Would, had this been a normal year, uh, fans allowed in the stands year, would this have been the year that revived local interest in gopher hockey? Hmm. No. That was kind of my answer, too. I don't know what it's going to take. I, I think it'll take years of sustained success. I don't think you'll see it in one season like this. Is it? I mean, is it really success that's driving it though? That that was kind of what I was. Well, championships. I was when I say success, you, yeah. it, it'll take it'll take actually winning national championships. Right. Winning Big Ten titles, nobody in this town is going to give a shit, John. And I'm, I know I'm well, not... didn't they win the first four Big Ten titles nobody, or something like that, and nobody cared at all? Yeah, going going to the tournament, I don't think I think people will be interested. Like, hey, now you got my interest, but. Uh, they got to win some, and they got to win multiple ones, and it's got to be exciting, um, and it's got to happen repeatedly. It's the only thing. 
that'll that'll get it if it's if it's if it is going to happen. And even that might not to, might not get it done. I don't know. Yeah, I the, the sense. I mean, the sense I have, of course, and I'm partially biased because since the very inception of this podcast, I've been complaining about Big Ten hockey and how it ruined college hockey for everybody. But the sense that I get is that it's never coming back. That it I, I can't come back. Yeah. Not in this time. Because, I, I mean, all right, I have, another, I have another lunatic theory, and maybe you have the same lunatic theory because this is based on something that you said on the Internet. So I'm curious about this. But my, my latest lunatic theory about why this has happened is something you said the other day. It was in response to something else on Twitter, I think. But you said something about the neutral zone trap killing your love of professional hockey in the 90s and early 2000s. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, they had the lockout in the NHL had the lockout in 2005. Coming out of that, they haven't scored a lot more goals, but certainly the game looks different now it does. than it did in the 1990s. In the 1990s, if you skated the puck into the zone, you had two guys lumberjacking you across the wrists and somehow everybody was fine with that. I don't know how it was possible looking back on some of those games, but it was you were allowed to do whatever you wanted to anybody who had the puck. Obviously that's not true now. Now you can't hardly touch people who have the puck and the game's better for it. The game's more open, obviously. The goaltending has improved so much that the scoring is still low, but certainly the actual the actual gameplay is different in the NHL now than it was. Do you think, and again, this is lunatic theory, so if you say no, this is lunatic theory, that's okay with me. Do you think that some of the drop-off in the interest in college hockey is because the pro game is more about skating and less about physicality than it used to be? You're going to have to repeat that one one more time. Do I think right. that the, the college hockey so, isn't as popular so, because of NHL's so, popularity? So let's let's talk about you. So in the mid-1990s, when the neutral zone trap was happening, watching the NHL was painful. Yes. Did you watch, and, more, college, did you watch more college hockey then absolutely. because it was less painful? No, I watched, well, I think this is a very, but it's, the, the answer is going to be very specific to me. And I don't think it's going to relate to everybody. Um, you know, I was a huge North Stars fan, and them leaving just turned right. me off from the NHL completely. I said, screw you, I'm not watching you anymore. Uh, in the 90s, I was in college, <clears throat> and Gopher Hockey was on TV Friday nights and Saturday nights. Lent it, it, it lent itself very well to my lifestyle. We, <laughs> would, we would be done with class, be done with sports, you know, come home, crack a beer, watch the Gophers hockey from 7 to 10, and then go out. Like, it was a perfect, like, appetizer for the evening, right? right? It just lent itself. It with fit the bo- very well into your schedule. It fit, I, yeah, I didn't watch TV, you know, Sunday through Thursday. I I was either, I was doing other things. Friday night with the boys, Saturday night with the boys. You know what I mean? We would, yeah. That, that's what we would do before we go out. It just lent itself very well to that. And I could, at that time, didn't want didn't care about the NHL, and the Gophers were good. So all of those things True. kind of lo- lent themselves well, again, but it's very unique circumstance just to me. Well, I mean, maybe 
maybe you make a good point there. Maybe it doesn't have anything at all to do with what the game looks like, but just people getting more used to the crappy new franchise rather than the old franchise that they love so dearly. Like the North Stars left and yeah. the Wild game. Like <laughs> like with their with their reverse retro jerseys this year, you referred to the Wild as your 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 stepdad wearing your <laughs> your your father's suit. Sport coat. So yeah. yeah yep. There's there's a certain there's a certain level of that, but now the Wild have been around for twenty years and maybe well, I don't know. Again, oh. this is specific to people like you and me who actually remember the North Stars, which yeah. is we're dying out I, every day. Yep. I Dude. recognize that that is by mm-hmm. itself just remembering watching the North Stars play hockey games on MSC is an old person thing to say. That's right. So yeah, I don't like this theory as much as I did when I started talking about it. <laughs> it's okay. That's why we talk it through. Yeah, gotta, they, they got to talk these things through. Yeah, and you know, if anybody is fifty minutes deep into a podcast with you and me talking about hockey, oh. they're here for those kind of theories. Anyway, <laughs> God bless them. So, um, I, I guess the other question, the the one sort of final wild question is: Are you a believer at this point? And Mm-mm. I, I know where I'm at because they have not played Vegas yet. They've not played St. Louis yet. And those are two of the three decent teams out west. So you can beat up on Anaheim all you want, but that doesn't really tell you anything about anything. Are you ha, Have these last games made you into a believer or more just an interested party? Uh, it depends on what, you, what your definition of believer is, John. Like, what standard are you setting? Like believer in that okay. they could win the cup or believer that they no. could make the playoffs or that they're just good? A believer that the ceiling for this season is more than the fourth seed in the West and a sweep at the hands of whoever the first seed is. Yes, I believe that, that it's – yes, I believe that. I'm okay. a believer in that sense. Because when the season started, that was basically the assumption mean... everyone had. They had to, they said somebody has to be the fourth seed in the West. It'll probably be the Wild because the three California teams in Arizona are garbage hockey teams. That's and... not. But John, I'll, I'll I'll I want to get out ahead of this. That was never any standard that I was ever looking for. That's not a hope that I had in my hope chest. Okay. All, all I'm looking, all I was looking for this season. Maybe I'm completely unique on this. Also, was I had a handful of questions about this team. I wanted to know. Is Kakinen for re- for real? Is this guy going to be a type of goalie that could carry this franchise for ten seasons? Is Kaprasov going to be? Could he be a superstar? Because that's what they're going to need in order to win a Stanley Cup. Um, is Fiala for real, or is ha- has he been? Is it a flash in the pan? Right. Was that, was that an anomaly? What he's shown? Um, Kalen Addison. I want to see something out of him. Are they going to call this kid up? And when he gets here. Is he going to show the skill that everybody's so excited about? So far, um, all we know, he had a pretty good he had a pretty good call up, and his mustache is terrible. <laughs> Can Eck continue the progression that he's on? I don't. I don't in any way expect him to to take just an enormous giant leap. I don't think he's that kind of guy. All right. I'm asking for is the steady progression of improvement. Um, and there's another. Oh, a Greenway. Can he turn his season around? Because if if this team's going to do anything, that's the kind of guy they need to. Oh man, I have um, loved Greenway this year. They, you know, he's kind of dropped off, but I, 
his drop off is because he's become almost too physical, which is fuck. I'm fine with that. Holy shit. Um, that, that's incredible for me to say like, buddy, just dial it down a little bit. Jesus. Um, He's like, oh, you like the physical play? Now he's going on the ice. He doesn't yeah. even have a hockey stick he's, anymore. He's just going out there and hitting people. He's yeah, he's a Viking sword. Like what? An axe? <laughs> Where did you even get an axe? That's not legal. Why would you think that's legal? Um, that's the kind of stuff I'm looking for. And like at every right. turn, every everything I was looking for has happened. So in that sense, I'm a believer. The all win, right. the wins, and everything is all gravy. I could give two shits about Cam Talbot. I don't think he's like the future of the Minnesota wild. Like great. If he does well, maybe they get something for him at the trade deadline. I I don't give a shit about him. Um, like Zuccarello. I don't know, John, do I give a shit about him? I guess he's a four, four more years on his contract. I suppose I better, but I don't know that I care. Um, like Hartman, that's a great story, but you know, I, I don't know. Is he going to be the guy, is he going to be a linchpin here in three seasons when they're really, when I'm really, or two seasons when I'm really looking for something from them? Those aren't the guys I'm, I'm, I'm happy about it, but I don't know. I, I was really more worried about the guys I could see being here right. when they really are going to be um, ramping up. And, and what do I want to see from them? Very like, much. So you were, you're sort of looking at the 2021 season as the extended preseason for the 2021, 2022 season. I'm seeing it, yeah, as like kind of like the 2017 Twins. Is, it right. maybe, is that about the year? Probably right about in there where you're like Rosario and and uh, Polanco and Buxton and Sano, like all these guys. Okay, let's start seeing some breakouts here, boys. Let's start, let's you know, um, Berrios, that whole crew that you really wanted to see take the next right. step. Let's see what you got. So ultimately what you're saying is you want the Wild to give the keys to the kids. <laughs> the next round of them, absolutely. Yeah. Well, but they're going to have to, right? Because of everything that's well, going on, um, they don't really have anybody else to give them to. I, I do still think that one of the wildest subplots for the whole Wild franchise right now is that they have they have an expansion draft coming up next summer. They have three guys who they have to protect because they have no move clauses in Parisi and Suter and Zuccarello that if you were to somehow convince all of them to waive those no-move clauses and make them available for the expansion draft, because of their contracts, there's no way in heck Seattle would ever pick them. But you have to protect them. And so I, I just I, I think it's fascinating that you got all these guys, even down to like Hartman and Felino, that are guys that you would want on the team next year that they can't really even think about protecting because they've got these three guys that have to go on that list. And so John, it, I don't it, know from a business management standpoint, from the NHL league office standpoint, how that's good for the league. Right. How losing Greenway to Seattle is good for the NHL. Like that's, that's not the Seattle fans are going to be excited about Seattle crack and whether Greenway Jordan Greenway is on their team or not. Right. Right. It's not going to make any damn difference to them. But the, those wild fans are going to be like, this is fucking stupid. We've been you know, drafted, developed this kid for years, and now we lose him just because of some arbitrary number that you can protect on a roster? Yeah. That just seems silly to me. It is It is funny how, how far the NHL has swung back from – because like when the wild were an expansion team, I mean, at the time, NHL franchises cost $14. You, yeah. 
you had to scrape together $14 and maybe some jerseys, and you could have an NHL expansion franchise. And so, when they had an expansion draft, other teams were allowed to protect, like, 73 guys of their yeah. franchise. Yep. And they literally were drafting, like, retired guys just to make up the expansion draft because there were these guys they had to draft and they didn't want them. So they were drafting guys who'd already retired from hockey so they could go out and sign free agents instead. Mm-hmm. But now when Vegas came into the league and paid, you know, $453 billion for the franchise or whatever it cost, they basically said, all right, we'll come into the league, but you're going to give us some actual good players. And, of course, they went to the Stanley Cup Finals in their first season. And now that's sort of established it for Seattle to say, all right, we're paying this exorbitant expansion fee and we're putting $30 million in every owner's pocket. So in exchange, we're going to take one of your best players. And I get the business of that, but like you say, it doesn't make it better for anybody else. No, I don't. I still don't like it. Socialism. When, it's, when it's, Seattle and Vegas are playing in the Western Conference Finals next season, I plan to be... I don't know I how that's good for anybody. Angry. Mm-hmm. I'll be right and there. And somehow, somehow, because of Seattle coming in, Seattle's in a division with Chicago and Detroit, and Minnesota's in a division with somebody on the surface of Mars or whatever, and all the games <laughs> start at 10 p.m. Uh, yeah. All right. That's good. That's our maybe our first all-hockey podcast we've ever done in the history of this One movie. hour. Good job. Thank you. Um, <laughs> now, I, now I just need to come up with a list of hockey questions every week and get you on the podcast. (laughs) I'm in. This is great. Thank you. (laughs) The hockey show. This has been the hockey show with uh, chicken fingers, 69 (laughs) and me. Uh, Any parting thoughts? That's all I got. That's all I got too. Uh, See you everybody. Three podcasts in a week. You got to give us credit. (laughs) We're, we're done till April 1st. (laughs) Later, everybody. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.